So everyone gets Hawkeye for Christmas. All this plus Doctor Who and Masters of the Universe on today's episode of the Geek Watch Podcast. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 131 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Hello, Brian. So, we uh, took a little break for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. spent time with our families, but now we are back. Thankful for a bunch of stuff that we get to talk about today. Some more thankful than others, <laughs> but you did finally get to see Ghostbusters. Yeah. And so I did want to get your take on this. And how spoilery do you want to get with this? Oh, it doesn't matter to me. You know, well, I'm good I, for anything. I would think that at this point, people would have seen it by now. Let's go completely spoilery because there was a lot of stuff I couldn't mm-hmm. talk about without going into spoilers. And, of course, a lot of stuff you didn't mm-hmm. know. I do have to know, what was the one thing in the middle of the movie that you said they have to get right? And if they don't stick the landing, it's going to be bad. Which part were you talking about? Okay. Well... Bringing in Egon Spangler. Oh, really? Okay. Because Mm -hmm. that's a very sensitive subject. Besides the fact that he was a beloved part of this movie, Mm -hmm. he's passed away now. Yeah. If it looked cheesy at all, people would have been absolutely incensed by it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It makes sense. And the fact that he was such a big part of the movie and the fact that they were able to do the CG as good as they did. Right. But yeah, if they had dropped the ball on that, it Mm -hmm. would have been pretty messed up uh-huh. when you think about it okay yeah I, I see and i felt like what they did was where you didn't see his face but you clearly knew who he was but then at the end they turn around and you do see his yeah, face uh-huh. and, and i think they did a good job i don't know who they got to do his body double or something he kind of had a stanley tucci look about him yeah i think they did good with that i was okay with it but you know i'm me and my uh rose-colored moviegoer glasses <laughs> i love everything i watch except bbc's dracula um <laughs> and i loved it you know and i get what you were saying about it not being what it was but being something new and I do it was a scary movie that wasn't a horror movie and we don't get those that often anymore no. you know and this did a great job I think they really did a good job with this and I'm I'm looking forward to the franchise seeing where they go with it yeah they definitely set up so that you can do more with it but what I really enjoyed about the film now that we can actually talk a little bit more about it and you'll know what I'm talking about The thing with Egon, being able to see him again, of course, toward the end, it was like, I'm Mm -hmm. not saying I cried at all at the end Mm -hmm. when he's there with his granddaughter, you know, and the fact that there was a lot of these moments where basically, you know, reconnect with that character and also, in a sense, at least in the movie, be able to mend some bridges because even in... In real life, the issues between Bill Murray and Harold Ramis, you know, Mm -hmm. and the problems two of them had, the issues they had with Groundhog Day that pretty much ended their friendship and also ended the possibility of a a Ghostbusters 3. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they were able to have some kind of closure, Mm -hmm. not just in the story, but also... In a sense, you know, you felt that there was some closure between Harold Ramis and Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that there was, before he passed away, that when Bill Murray learned that, that Harold Ramis was close to death, that he did reach out to him and they were able to mend fences at the end. But to be able to represent that in the movie, I thought was really awesome. I, I loved all the different little Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. In, oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> 
and I think you can understand what I meant by that is that it, it feels more like a high school reunion than going back to high school. Yeah. Because it's it's its own thing. It's a different thing. Mm -hmm. It respects what came before, but it didn't try to be that again. Mm -hmm. Especially with a movie that's based off of a franchise, that's a very fine line to have to walk because you have the one side who always say, well, it's not like the original movie. Why in the world are you going to call it Ghostbusters if you're not going to give us Ghostbusters? And then you have the other side of people saying, well, you know, what's the point of remaking Ghostbusters? We've already got a Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. It's a very difficult line to walk and I would say impossible because there's going to be people that are going to fall on either side of right. that and you can't make everybody happy. But I really believe, especially with the fact that we got a movie that I feel was really, really good and I would say, you know, not the answer for you, but it seemed like you enjoyed it as well. I did. I did. I was, honestly, I was holding out hope up until that very last post-credit scene that we would get a little glimpse of Rick Moranis, but I'm okay. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, yeah. we miss you, Mr. Moranis. Come but back. I, but I really <laughs> do like what they did with Winston's character. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The fact that that character has really been elevated in the story, I thought, was fantastic because... There was always that idea that he was a secondary character. He wasn't yeah. one of the main three. That he was going to have more of a character when Eddie Murphy was part of it. But then when they lost him, that was always the story that I heard. You yeah. know, that they had all worked together Saturday Night Live and everything. And then when he was doing something else. And then um, Ernie Hudson came Ernie in. Ernie Hudson came in. And yeah. so they that character wasn't developed as much as they had originally planned on developing him. So Yeah. Well, it's wonderful that Ernie Hudson did get that redemption in that he is uh, a more important part of that world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fantastic, and I, I love that part of it. And I do love the little bit of with Sigourney Weaver at the end, yes. you know, mm -hmm. with the, uh, in a sense, with the tables turned and Bill Murray being <laughs> at the mm -hmm. end of the, uh, the shock treatment, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> so there was a lot of great little moments in there, which, right. I, which I enjoyed. It, and when I was sitting there and watching the end credits and Sigourney Weaver's name came up, and I was like, where was she? And then, boom, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh like, yeah. oh, there she is. So that was a good. That was a good call. That was like Sigourney. Where? That was good <laughs> yeah. Call, yeah, and um, Olivia Wilde as Zul. Yeah. You know, man, way to go. I mean, just her. I don't know if it was the makeup, but boy, did they make her perfect. Yes, that it was, was spot on. It yeah, very much so. I I, mm -hmm. I love that, and I loved bringing back the gatekeeper and the key master mm -hmm. and those nods back to that, which was wonderful. <laughs> And, you know, we didn't get Rick Moranis, no. but we did get Paul Rudd. And the transformation was so great because it was, like, straight out of it. They're like, look, guys, we're going <laughs> to do it exactly the same way that they did in the 80s. So just mm -hmm. go for it. Watch and they it did. and copy it exactly. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. you know, just go for it. Yeah, it's crazy, but just mm -hmm. go with it. And it was great. Now, speaking of beloved franchise, Netflix did release the second half of Masters of the Universe. Okay, so this is the Sarah Michelle Gellar one, not the anime one? Yes. Anime-looking one? Yeah, okay. Now, yeah. And, and by not the anime-looking one, not the She-Ra anime-looking one, but the He-Man, more 3D anime-looking one. There's a lot. There's just a lot going on. <laughs> on there <laughs> yeah. yeah netflix is basically mm -hmm. it's like they're doing every version of he-man that they can do to see which one i guess <laughs> will stick they're throwing spaghetti on the wall and see which noodle sticks i yeah, guess i suppose mm -hmm. i suppose so but 
I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details about it. I am going to go a little bit spoilery in that there are some things that happen in the second half that I definitely want to talk about. But I don't want to go into too many details about things. I mean, it's definitely worth a watch. I don't know if people who are upset that this was the Tila show, if they're going to be, even though you're getting a heck of a lot more He-Man in this, I don't know if they're still going to be happy because Tila still plays a role in it. And it's like, well, she doesn't just go off into the corner and disappear. In fact... There's something that happens with her character that I find really, really interesting. That I think that some people who were like, don't put your feminism in my He-Man, uh, they're not going to like this at all. But I think that it's, it was an interesting take. It really helps develop Tila as a character, but it also brings to light something that has been an issue for a long time. Of course, in the story, you have the sorceress, this very powerful, magical being who is the guardian of Castle Grayskull, but the sorceress has this one weakness. She can't remain human, and the majority of her powers go away once she leaves Castle Grayskull. So she turns into an eagle, and that's the only form that she can take outside of Castle Grayskull, and her powers are greatly diminished. But inside the castle, of course, she can take her human form, and she's also very powerful. Hmm. And one thing that they bring up in the second half of the season is that the sorceress basically has to give up a lot to become the sorceress. And that was something they really played into in the show. Tila's mother had to give up her family and everything to be the sorceress. That has been a story that women have been told for a long time. If you play in a quote-unquote man's world, you have to make sacrifices. Oh, yeah. You have to give up things mm -hmm. that are, as a woman, you sh you're mm -hmm. just not going to have anymore. You know, mm -hmm. The sorceress had to give up. Tila had to give up being her mother. If you're going to be in business, if you're going to work for a living, you know, you're going to have to give up your kids. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to have that opportunity to be we pumping out kids all the baby time. Baby boom, the red shoes, all of all the movies. Yeah. And that's been the narrative for a long, long time. And as someone who, um, as I know, you haven't had any children, I, I'm sure that you never having children has been like a great source of sadness for you. I say this with all baiting you and also knowing what you're going to say. Oh, I'm so sad. I, well, um, when coworkers uh, try to use their children to get me to work their shifts, uh, then it becomes a you know more anger than you yeah. know that. <laughs> but you know, you and I both made that choice. You know, not to have children. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it is, nobody was saying I was making any kind of sacrifices. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, as a woman. Yes, you're like, child free. Yeah, yeah. You've made you know you. Well, to that's a fairly recent uh, child free. It's a very recent lexicon in our language. You know, it used to be childless. You know, I am a childless, unattached woman in my 30s. I am an oddity. But, you know, now more people are embracing the child-free life. And, like, I'm not childless. I'm child-free. And yeah. <laughs> so. But the narrative is very much the fact that you and I are both in a very similar situation. But nobody said, I've made any sacrifices. Mm -hmm. But they've said, you know, but people are prone to say that you have. Mm -hmm. Now, although in the original He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, I don't think they were making any kind of feminist comment or, you know, going along with what was the norms for the day. But, yeah, the fact was He-Man had powers and he could leave Castle Grayskull. The Sorceress couldn't. Now, I understand for the sake of the story, you want to have a character which in the Sorceress who is powerful enough to protect Grayskull from Skeletor and all of his forces, unless, of course, he comes up with a really brilliant plan. But you want to have her powerful enough 
so that if he decided to invade Castle Grayskull, that he would have his ass handed to him by the sorcerers. But also, you don't want a character that powerful to just be able to leave Castle Grayskull whenever she wants. I mean, she just suddenly becomes Deus Ex Machina. Right. He's like, oh, we're having a problem. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. And then she takes care of it. So for the sake of the story, yeah, it makes sense to limit the sorcerers to Castle Grayskull. But now you have this reflection of society where He-Man, he has the power and he can come and go as he pleases, but the sorcerers can't. And she has to make sacrifices. What I found interesting about this second half is that they talk about this in a real way. And Tila now has to become the sorceress. And not only has she had to deal with the fact that her mother abandoned her, but now she has to make that same choice because she's told, look, you can become the sorceress, which they desperately need for a bunch of reasons in the plot of the story, but to put things back to normal. The thing is, you've got to give up everything. You know, you got to give up your friends and your family if you're going to make this sacrifice. And Tila does something really interesting. She says, why do I need to do this? I don't need to do this. Yes, I can be the sorceress, but I don't have to sacrifice everybody that I care about. And so because she decided to take the power on but not give up her life, she becomes the first sorceress to be able to leave the castle as a human and maintain her power. So because she doesn't make the choice everybody else makes, because Mm -hmm. she decides, yes, I'm going to take on the power, but I'm also not going to sacrifice my life. Wow. She becomes that character who... Changes the rules. It was, for me, a really interesting to basically take that story and turn it on his head and at the same time to say something I think really fascinating about the way people still I think maybe not as much as as it has been in the past but definitely it's something that is still pretty common thought Mm -hmm. you know this idea that women make sacrifices men just just do men stuff Mm -hmm. and basically to deconstruct it which I thought was really good yeah very and what I also enjoyed about the series was they did change uh, your expectation because going into the second half, you think that, well, the whole plan here is how do we stop Skeletor? But that's not what happens. It turns out that the story goes into how do we stop Evil Inn because Evil mm-hmm. Inn gets the power from Skeletor. Hmm. Skeletor has basically, he gains the power of Castle Grayskull. He makes Evil Inn the sorceress. Basically, with the power of Grayskull, he's able to see the entirety of the universe and realizes, looking into the void, nothing really has any meaning. It's petty. Okay. Yeah, as individuals, we are so small and don't really matter in the universe. And because Skeletor is who he is, he has evil ends see exactly what he sees. But how they both react to it is different, because Skeletor, being who Skeletor is, he looks at the emptiness of the universe and goes, well, it doesn't matter what I do, so I can do whatever I want. And Evelyn looks at the universe and goes, well, nothing matters. Why should it even exist? Hmm, So after looking at the entire universe or possibly maybe binge watching some episodes of Rick and Morty, (laughs) however that Mm -hmm. happened, she figures, well, the universe just needs to be destroyed. If there's no point in it, let's get rid of it. Ah, So these existential crises of these uh, 80s cartoon characters, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. And so that's what basically becomes the crux of the conflict in the show is once Evelyn has the power of Grayskull, which in a real sense, once she became the sorceress, she was the focus of the power. 
but when she took the power from Skeletor and became that godlike being and decided, you know, she's just going to destroy the universe, then that becomes a deeper story. However, there's something about how she got the power that I got to talk about. And I'm about to say something I never thought I would ever say in a million years. And I certainly didn't think I would ever say it about Masters of the Universe. But did we really need the sex scene? Huh, okay. Um, my guess would be no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you've seen it and I haven't. Um, Just to say, first of all, I, I am not approved by any stretch of the imagination. I have no problem with people making the sweet, sweet loving, okay? But... The thing is, when you watch Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters movie now now in the 21st century, a lot of stuff that you just took for granted and didn't really think about, of course, now you think about. (laughs) Specifically, man, they smoke a lot in that movie. (laughs) And you never really thought about it in 1984 when you watched it, but Mm -hmm. now it's just like you realize how many cigarettes are in there because... Indoors. Yeah. And you just never thought about it before, but now... Of course, you think about it. And like I said, uh, you know, Sweet Sweet Lovin' doesn't bother me in a movie or even in, a, in an animated series because, of course, I've seen it. But in Masters of the Universe, <laughs> it sticks out because you're not used to it. Wait a second. <laughs> and you certainly are not used to it with Skeletor and Evil in. Hmm. There's an image I never wanted. Well, see, I'm being unfamiliar. It's like, does Skeletor even have muscles? Well, apparently, needed? apparently only his head is a skull apparently uh, he's perfectly okay. fine in physical mm-hmm. otherwise apparently so because now this is canon as far as this show is concerned that he and evil lynn had recreational sex a lot hmm. and the thing about it is it's not like they just threw it in either it's not like they just it, it was mentioned just referred to and now i have this horrible image in my head so this wasn't uh, a part of the ritual or anything to no. to get the power okay well mm. actually in a sense it was that's what i was because wondering. I, because here's what happened evil in as the sorceress has figured that you know she wants to destroy the universe now but how does she do that she needs the power of gray skull to do it now she is the focal i would say in the story I think it would have been interesting if she would have realized that she was the focus and just taken the power from Skeletor and just stripped him of it. But that's not what happened. What happened was the way that Evelyn got Skeletor to relinquish the power of Grayskull was telling him that, I want to have sex with you, but as a god, you'll probably kill me. (laughs) And Skeletor was like, okay, well, let's... (laughs) So that's how she did it. After some very aggressive flirting afterwards, which Uh also included a very passionate kiss and her crawling up on his lap. That's some Loki, Anansi, Coyote, trickster god stuff right there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They made it very clear that they were villains with benefits. You know, I just just had this thought that, you know, in the original cartoon, at the end, you'd have He-Man giving the lesson for the day, and I'm glad we didn't get one about condom use. I don't think I've been ready for it. <laughs> uh, Knowing is half the battle. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, there was a there was something I just did not need to have in my head, but now mm-hmm. it's there. It's and it lives rent free, so mm-hmm. what can I do? Uh but I enjoyed the series and I liked a lot of the stuff that it did and I can joke about the whole sex scene thing. I'm yeah, not saying funny. that it, it, it yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess funny is a word for it. But uh and they did at the end set up the possibility of future more seasons. Yes. Excellent. 
because mm-hmm. we did get a nod to Hordak, mm-hmm. which means that we could see She-Ra as well. Mm-hmm. Speaking of series, over the break, we got three episodes of Hawkeye. Yes. So we, we got a double <laughs> shot the first week, and this Wednesday we get episode three. Uh-huh. So what do you think so far? I mean, can we talk about anything in the wonderful series that we have that isn't overshadowed by Hawkeye LARPing? (laughs) I I mean, just did anything else happen in that whole series at all? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I did like Vera Farminga making her MCU debut. You know, I think she makes a very good addition, and that character is smart. She seems a little naive about with with the storyline going on, but that she runs this company and she's so good at it and everything. But yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Um Hawkeye LARPing. What are the rules? Do I have to wear this? Oh my gosh, it is so it's beautiful. It's brilliant. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I want more. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, What's great about the series so far that I enjoy is that there are a lot of references if you've read the comics. And, of course, mm. if you see the art at the beginning, that's straight off of the Hawkeye limited series. Okay. Same artist and everything. So it does really play. And a lot of the stuff that comes out of those comics, you know, we're seeing on the screen. But Was there an Avengers musical in those comics? I don't recall the, the <laughs> musical. But, yeah, Rogers the musical is me. <laughs> And I love musical theater. It, it was a little bit cringy. Some of the lines <laughs> were definitely cringy, and they, they really played up on the cringe, obviously, mm-hmm. because uh, Clint was just, you know. I mean, that entire scene in the theater was great because mm-hmm. there were so, you know, you have the cringeworthy stuff. You have that really skinny guy who's playing Hawkeye on <laughs> stage. You have these really cheesy lines, but then you also have Natasha and mm-hmm. how that affects and then seeing the little girl in the front who waves at him, who's dressed as Black Widow. Yes. So you get a lot of those moments. But what I'm also enjoying about the show is that all these little references to these characters. You mentioned Kate's mom. That's a named character in the comics. Okay. And so there's that question. Is she going to be that character? Don't want to go into a whole lot of details about all it because right. I don't want to spoil anything for you or any, you know, or anyone if you haven't read the comics. Mm-hmm. So there's that question of are they going to go down that road? And her stepfather is also a named character in the comics, mm-hmm. uh, a named character that has been around for a while. Okay, I'm enjo- I'm enjoying him. Yes, you know I I feel like it's a little too obvious that he's our villain, and the cliffhanger that we got at the end of of the episode three, it's really making me you know like he's not our guy. That's what I'm going. You know he's not our guy. Yeah, and uh, well, so I, I, without, I like him. Yeah, without going into too many details in the comic, he is very much the anti-hero. He's played the villain and kind of the hero at the same time. Mm-hmm. He does have a huge role in the comics in Hawkeye's life, and uh, I don't think this is much of a spoiler by saying this, but in the comics, he's known as the Swordmaster. Oh, surprise! Well, yeah, surprise. That's there. a good one. Mm. Yeah, so that's fascinating. Now. The one cameo that I thought was very interesting because it's they didn't really come out and say who this was, but Uncle. Mm-hmm. And knowing the background of Echo, which, by the way, can we say, what an amazing character. Yeah. We talked months ago about them hiring this actress, deaf and an artificial leg and everything, a prosthesis, and what we were looking for in this. And yeah, thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, but I've I've waxed poetically about the casting in MCU and how yeah. great, how great. And the is. young actress that they mm-hmm. hired to play Echo as a child, also fantastic. But yeah, that that one little scene where Uncle shows up and pinches her on the cheek, and you're like, Uncle, oh boy. Mm-hmm. 
because that opens up a world of stuff. How yeah, and I don't even know about the the comics, and I I, I tell this is going to be, this is like this is like Kingpin. This is like yes. you know someone. Yeah. Yes, because Kingpin mm. raised Echo in the comic. Okay. So there's the possibility that not only are we getting the Kingpin, but we're getting Vincent Nofrio <laughs> as the Kingpin. Mm-hmm. Since we got our Matt Murdock from that. Well, we you know that's still up in the air, have oh, we? Is you know. it? Yeah, what? Is it? <laughs> well, you know, we we can neither confirm nor deny that that's the case, but we might see Vincent D'Onofrio as the kingpin, mm-hmm. and that would be amazing because, wow, was he really good in Daredevil. Mm. One of the best villains ever, I think, in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, or in this case, sort of the Marvel Cinematic Universe-ish. Extend, uh Extended series universe. Yeah. um, Yeah, um, Universe adjacent. I do have to say that that leads me into saying that one of the things I love about this show is it does remind me of a lot of the Netflix series. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is more tied into the MCU, but now you do have those more intimate stories that we used to get on the Netflix series. They're not low budget by any stretch of the imagination, but you get these deeper dives in these characters. In a real sense, I feel like we're revisiting those great Netflix series in Hawkeye. There's so much good stuff going on, and I, I love the way that the story's developing, but I just love this thread that's developing with Clint Barton, this whole idea that he's worked with the Avengers, but he's not a role model. He doesn't consider himself a hero. Mm-hmm. He doesn't sell toys, which when you think about it in the real world, yeah, I mean, Hawkeye wasn't the character that you were seeing all the toys, you mm-hmm. know, it wasn't the focus of the Avengers. Uh, he was just sort of like an add-on. Mm-hmm. And the the fact that they're really addressing that in the show, and then, of course, that's... Very, what? very fourth wall breaking, you know. Yeah, it's very much. your branding, and that's, that's adorable. And uh, all the stuff with his kids, you know, the phone yeah. calls, the restaurant, and those actors are good. Those kids, they oh, did a yeah. good job. I mean, there's so much good stuff in there. I mean, really, on like a very personal level. Mm-hmm. And this whole idea with Echo, even though she's kind of the villain, you understand why. Because if you saw Ronan kill your dad, yep. yeah, you're going to have a problem with Ronan. And yeah. Yeah, and he's kind of having his, his Bucky Barnes moments right now, you know, realizing I really didn't have a choice in this, but it did affect people. And now I have to pay for for what I did, and you know what he did as Ronan, what Bucky did as the Winter Soldier, and so we're having that crisis of identity. You yeah, know. very much. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in a real sense you are deconstructing who Hawkeye is as a character, which was something that the Netflix series did really, really well. My one of my favorite examples, and this was out of we're talking about the like episode three. When Echo asks, how do we know that Ronan isn't going to ever come back? And Hawkeye says, well, because he's dead. And she says, how do you know? Because Black Widow killed him. And a lot of us watching it figured he was going to say, I killed him. I got rid of him. Which, in a sense, you know, it's like, well, he did because he stopped being him. But the idea that he said that Black Widow did it because, of course, she pulled him out. Mm -hmm. She came and found him and gave him hope. And she's the one who, when she sacrificed herself, yeah. She killed Ronan. That was it. You know, we had Hawkeye back. She gave up everything to give him back his family. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you have that thread going through this story, and it's we are three episodes in, and they've developed so much really good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of I like that they're doing this sort of origin 
uh, story when it comes to his losing his hearing. You know, I'm hard of hearing. I'm not deaf. He used the correct terminology and, you know, bringing in these deaf characters and that he's, he's learning. He's going to learn, you know, uh, sign language and everything. He, he didn't start off as deaf. He lost his hearing, so now he has to adapt. Yeah. You know, whereas Echo, you know, I was born this way. I've embraced it. And, you know, it, it's showing, you know, both sides of, you know, where, whether pe- someone uses a hearing aid or gets a cochlear implant or, yeah. um, you know, along those lines. So I'm, I'm excited about this. Oh, yeah. I, and it's, there's just all these wonderful little pieces here and there. And I think that really the storytelling is just amazing. I, I love what they've done so far. And the fact that, you know, I think already at this point halfway through, and mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what happens. Oh, and dog. Cannot dog. forget dog. Pizza dog. Pizza Lucky dog. the pizza dog. It's so, it's so important. Yeah. Dog and Walking Dead and uh, Crypto and, and now Pizza Dog. You know, we've got Oh, yeah. Cannot let the dogs die. It's really important. For sure. <laughs> yeah, speaking of, uh, we'll, just, uh, we'll take a, a tangent. Have you seen the trailer for... The Legion of Super Pets. No, I didn't even know this was a thing. Oh my goodness! Oh my. Okay. Do we have Crypto and Ace and? Uh, we have Crypto, who's the main character. Oh. Uh, voiced by The Rock. <laughs> that's that's great. And Jason Sudeikis is the voice of Superman. Yes. Oh. But Superman mm-hmm. uh, gets taken out, and Crypto has to basically round up some other superpowered animals mm-hmm. because of something in the plot. They basically wind up these animals gain superpowers, and yeah, you got the rock as crypto. So oh, yeah, you, that's did, you didn't even see the trailer for this. No, uh, you, I, I will show I'm you that before to. you. I will show you that before you leave because you have to see this. <laughs> it's great, but yeah. I, f- I even follow The Rock on Instagram. I didn't see anything about this. Oh, well, oh. I am so glad <laughs> that mm-hmm. you know now. But, yeah, this is it's amazing, and I will talk to you about that for sure. With everything but with Black Adam, you know, I guess it was just overshadowed or something. <laughs> yeah. But uh, before we go, I got one last thing to talk about, and uh, I hate to have to end it on this, but speaking of uh, six-part series, Let's talk a little bit about Doctor Who. So that means I gotta start playing the music. Yeah, that's enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Let me say first of all. Now I know you haven't seen any of this yet, mm-hmm. and I, after hearing me talk about this, I don't. I, I wouldn't tell you not to watch it, but I feel like I might be discouraging you somehow to watching this. First of all, let me just go ahead and say this now. I will never be that guy who hate watches something. Mm, mm -hmm. And I certainly couldn't do that with Doctor Who. I have been a Doctor Who fan for the majority of my life. Mm -hmm. I love Doctor Who. And even a bad patch of storytelling would never make me go, oh, it's ruined Doctor Who for me forever, etc., etc. And I certainly, if I didn't like Doctor Who, I would certainly not watch it just to hate on it and criticize it. That's not what I'm doing here. But at the same time, I got to call it as I see it. And I've got a lot to talk about. We have seen five of the six episodes. We've only got one left this Sunday. And then that's it. With that being said, I may have to take back some of the criticism that I've had on this show. Really? Okay. Not necessarily because I feel like the storytelling has gotten better. You're going to replace it with worse ones. Not necessarily. Okay. Because I'm going to have to see how this pans out. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the criticism that I had about this show so far is that they keep adding all these threads and characters. It's like there's no way they're going to be able to tie all this together in a satisfactory way at the end. 
And not only have they not done anything to change that, they've made it worse. Hmm. Last two episodes, we've had a bunch of threads that have been introduced. And some of these threads have ended, but they were just cut off in a really unsatisfying way. This may be kind of a spoiler, but there's a young girl character that's introduced in episode four that is basically taken out of time and has no one to look after her except for the doctor's companions. And then by the next episode, it's like the girl just disappears. They don't talk about her. They don't mention anything about her. It's like, well, she was in this plot. Now we're just going to forget about the fact that there's really nobody to take care of her, that she's on her own. Yeah, they. I guess they just abandoned the little kid. Hmm. And not going into spoilers, but there is this very huge plot line that has been developing that just could basically gets cut off. They're just like, okay, that's over. Completely not satisfying. And then they introduce an entirely new plot, a massive change in the, the story. And that was the last episode they did this. They're certainly not going to be able to tie that thread off in the next show. They're just not. And the reason why I feel like I need to take back some of my criticism is my criticisms have been the fact that they're not going to be able to tie all this stuff together. Now I think that they're not even going to try to. Okay. I think they're trying to set up a bunch of stuff for the specials. I think that's what all this has been about. This has not been about telling a coherent story in six episodes. I think this has been, all of this is just set up for the specials that are coming next year. Now, and I say that, one, because if you remember the schedule, you know, last year they always had, you know, the New Year's special. Well, that's just a month away. I also am saying that this is probably what's going on because, I, I, in a real sense, I'm trying to give the scripts and um, Chibnall the, the benefit of the doubt because if he does try to tie this in and take care of the entire storyline and have it have a conclusion next week... It's going to be an epic challenge. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> There's no way that you're going to tie all the threads together. And some of the threads that he's already cut off have been... Very unsatisfying. Mm, mm. And not to say this is just Chibnall's the only person who's ever done this. I mean, Stephen Moffat, he was bad for developing some really big storyline and then just it just mm-hmm. kind of petering out. But we've gotten a lot of that in this. Here's where I think a lot of this, everything in the kitchen sink and this, this mad dash of just all this stuff that, you know, a lot of it probably should have been cut out you know, or whatever. Uh, and you're introducing all these new characters and and all these different storylines. I th- and I, I have to say, this is going to be complete speculation because obviously I don't know. Nobody from the BBC is sending me emails and explaining to me what's going on. Okay? <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm going to say right now, this is 100% speculation on my part. But I feel that there's probably a good reason to believe that this is the case. But I can't prove a bit of it. But that being said, let's just speculate for a moment that perhaps Chris Chibnall's role in him leaving Doctor Who has been exaggerated. That let's just say for a moment that maybe it wasn't as much of his idea as everyone says that it is. Let's speculate that maybe he was thinking that he might have a couple of full seasons to tell this story, that he was developing a story that he had planned to develop over a full season or two full seasons. Now, with everything that's that we've gotten so far out of flux, I can see that you would need two seasons because you've got 
two main storylines that I could pull out just off the top of my head with a bunch of minor stuff, right? But there's like two major storylines that are running, possibly three. I mean, it depends on how you want to try to divide this up. But I can see maybe if you think you're going to get like two full seasons, you might be able to develop this in a more organic way that doesn't feel like you're cramming everything together. But he doesn't have two seasons. He has a six-episode mini-season, and he's got two, maybe three specials right. next year. Mm-hmm. It's possible that that Chris Chibnall may be thinking that he had all the story that he wanted to tell, but now he doesn't have the room to tell it all, so he's having to crush it mm-hmm. and throw everything in at it so that he can tell the story he wants to tell, but he has to tell it in a very abbreviated way. Mm-hmm. I would say that the the issue with the flux would have been the season finale of like a full season, but okay. because of COVID yeah. and probably because, again, speculation, because the BBC figured that it's time for a change in the showrunner, he didn't get it, but he still wants to tell that story, and he's trying to tell the story that he wanted to tell in two seasons in six parts and a handful of specials, and of course, it's going to suffer. You can't do everything, but he's. it looks like he's trying to do everything. <laughs> and it's not working at all. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, this is, in my mind, this is probably the worst I've ever seen Doctor Who as far as storytelling. Mm-hmm. This, And again, they're doubling down on the whole timeless child thing, and it looks like they're trying to develop a really... There's a bunch of moments they're trying to do these really, really huge moments in this story, but it feels like you're... You're trying to take a sledgehammer to drive in finishing, these little finishing nails. It's not necessary to have these really huge concept stories that you're not really doing a whole lot with. You're, you're doing more damage than you're, than you're doing good. And it just feels like that this is Chibnall's death knell for Doctor Who, that this is him trying to get everything in that he wanted to say, that he thought he had time to say, but now he doesn't. Is Hail Mary? This is the Hail Mary play. I, that's the perfect. Mm-hmm. Actually, that is, I think, the perfect way of putting it. Uh-huh. it this is his Hail Mary shot. He's throwing everything uh, that he had planned. Get everything out as much as he can while he still has time to do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, he still has the ability to do it. He's just trying to get this entire thing out there. But the fact that he just doesn't have the time to do it, but mm-hmm. he's trying anyway, it's not doing well. It's just not. But as bad as everything is, if he is, in fact, going to try to to tie all this together and finish it by the end of this next episode, it takes it to a, a new low. It, it will be easily, to my mind, the worst series of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. old, new series, period. Yep. And none of this, let me just, let me emphasize, none of this is Jodie Whittaker's fault. I am so sad that it doesn't seem like she's ever going to get those great moments that every doctor seems to have gotten, you know, those moments to shine. Mm-hmm. You know, where's her heaven sent? You know, I, I think of that Peter Capaldi episode that was just amazing. You know, where's where's that great speech, that, that great moving speech that she should have? Right. The only thing she's going to be remembered for is the timeless children. That's it. And, you know, she just hasn't been given a lot to work with. And that makes me sad because she mm-hmm. just hasn't really been given a lot. And I, I really want her to have her moment as the doctor. And I don't want her to go down in history as the worst doctor <laughs> of all of them. 
and she's heading that way. And again, it's not her fault. Mm-hmm. None of it's her fault. She's worked really hard with the material that she's been given. I just don't feel like, you know, they've given her anything really good to work off of. And with what I have seen so far, I don't hold a lot of hope that the specials are going to be any kind of redemption for Jodie Whittaker. I just don't see it. And not to say anything really negative about Chris Chibnall, at the beginning, you know, one of the things that I said was maybe with this six-part series that it will play to his strengths, that these one-offs were just not his forte, but telling a six-part story might play to his strengths. And unfortunately, it didn't. It played to his weaknesses. It just seems like he's doubling down on the mistakes that he's made, but the fact that he's throwing everything in the kitchen sink, that he's throwing that Hail Mary play, thank (laughs) you for that, he's going to ultimately throw it into the end zone and no one's catching the ball. And I hate to say that. I really do. And like I said, I'm not planning on hate watching the season finale, but this is what I am going to say about the season finale. Next week, when we do talk about it, I'm just basically going to, I'll just say it now. We're going to go spoilers because I've been very vague about stuff because I haven't wanted to spoil it. But I do want to basically break down the issues that I've had. And, yeah, if somehow they do happen to redeem the whole series by the season finale, believe me, I'll be the first one to say it. Mm -hmm. I don't expect to see that happen. (laughs) But if they do, I will, I'll, I'll talk about it. But, I do want to have sort of a breakdown of the things that happened, what I think they did right, where I feel that perhaps, you know, that it went off the rails and where it didn't work. And I I think I am going to go full spoiler, but depending on what happens on Sunday, in a sense, I'm almost tempted to uh, record my <laughs> record my review. Re- reactions? <laughs> well, well, just to record my review uh-huh. and just and put it as an ad, uh, you know, uh-huh. as an addendum. Yeah, as an addendum so that you don't have to sit here and listen to me rant and rave. <laughs> it's I a think, post-credits scene. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm, depending on how it goes, I'm almost tempted to do that because I don't, you know, if it's if it's just going to be completely negative, I almost feel like I don't want to subject you <laughs> to listening to me go off. I, I, I think you've suffered enough at this point. Um, I know you haven't seen it yet, and I've, I've really tried to stay away from spoilers because, you know, I didn't want to ruin the experience for you, but... I don't know if I could. I, I don't. <laughs> I, I feel I feel so badly about this. I feel badly for Jody. I feel badly. I feel bad for Chris Chibnall, especially if he had a whole bunch of plans and now they're just not going to come to fruition because it, it looks like there's a lot of really great story he was trying to tell, or at least to his mind he thought that it was great story, and he was really trying to make his mark. Uh, just unfortunately, I think it, it's not going to be uh, a really good mark. I think ultimately he's not going to be looked at very highly. That we're going to look at this part of Doctor Who is where things kind of went bad. But we're um, going back to basics in a real sense. Bad Wolf, uh, we talked about oh this yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting Russell T. Davies back. Yeah, we're getting Russell T. Davies back. Uh, bad Wolf is taking over. And yes, it's uh, official. Sony owns Bad Wolf. They have bought Bad Wolf. But man, Davies has his... He has his work cut out for him i just hope it oh, doesn't I, I trust russell t davies he came at it almost 15 20 years after the last sylvester mccoy episode i, I think he can you know I, I trust him yeah i i certainly have a lot of faith in, in his writing 
it really is just like what he's coming into is going to be very difficult. But, wow. We shall see. Yeah, we definitely will see. But with that said, we come to the end of episode 131. Thank you for listening and tune in next time for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch Podcast. For Mandy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production.